Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Uh, and it is still some morning, Sunday morning, still shocking to me that we're able to be together. And uh, I have been loving it. I've loved seeing your faces. And uh, being able to be together as a community has uh, felt reinvigorating. The passage that was just read is our passage for this morning. It is a look at a post-resurrection sighting of Jesus. And uh, it, of all the post-resurrection stories, it is probably my favorite. And the reason is is filled with intrigue. There's a lot of unexpected moments in the text. And I think it surfaces a lot of questions that are worth asking. And um, one of those questions that gets asked the most about this passage, or at least I've been asked about this particular question the most as it comes to this text, is why was Jesus mistaken? How is it possible that Mary, who knows and loves Jesus, who's with him consistently, can a day or two later totally mistake Jesus? doesn't recognize who he is. How is that possible? And the text says it this way. She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. So why? Why was he mistaken? There are several kind of theories or typical suggestions that uh, are out there. One of them, for example, uh, in verse 1, it uh, says that it was early in the morning, so perhaps it was dark. There was this level of darkness that uh, maybe caused her not be able to really see very clearly. So that's a, a likely suggestion. Another thought is that Jesus was so badly beaten that his beard was ripped out, that he had suffered so much trauma that perhaps he looked quite a bit different than she had expected to see him. And so there's that. Another thought is that uh, Mary shows up. She was bewildered. She was confused. She was sad. Uh, she had all these raging emotions of like, what is going on? And then experiences, the text says, an earthquake before she actually shows up to the tomb, I may have been fairly rattled as well. And so perhaps within the midst of all that confusion and sadness and bewilderment, maybe she just didn't quite understand it was Jesus. Another thought is that verse 11 talks about how she's weeping and that through her tears, she fails perhaps to see him. That maybe she was blurry, maybe uh, she didn't quite see clearly enough, and again, um, mistook him. And then there's another idea that um, Mary had a particular agenda, something that needed to get done. Uh, the text tells us that uh, she was there to kind of anoint Jesus' body with oil and spices, uh, a tradition at the time, and a way to care for the body, to make it smell uh, less like it was decaying, all those kinds of things. And so she came with the task in mind. She gets there, she's ready to do the job, and all of a sudden now there isn't Jesus. And you can tell that she is singularly focused because she walks up to the tomb, sees 
two angels, the text says, in white, who are otherworldly, is unfazed by it and is just like, so where have you put them? Right? Like, what's going on? He's not here. Even asks the gardener, right? Like, what have you done with him? Let me go get him. So her, now her new plan is, I'm supposed to anoint him with spices. That's not going to work till he's back here. So I'm going to go find him first. Where have you taken him? Then, I'm so focused on the agenda, I'm going to get him back here. How she figured out how she was going to get him back, I don't know. Maybe she thought I'd just like hoist him up and carry him or what, I don't know. But she's intent on it so much so that she wants to put him back into the tomb so then she could carry out with her agenda. She could get her job done. She's focused. And maybe, um, unfortunately, maybe none of us can relate to that. Maybe we have never mistaken Jesus or been distracted in our focus. Maybe we've never had, you know, agendas and schedules and carpools and games and events and homework and office hours and clients and business deals and relationships and family and hobbies and, you know, the host of other things in a pandemic, whatever. Maybe we've never been in the situation that she has. And so we can understand that, you know, life is pretty difficult for her and she mistook who Jesus was. But the thing that's been kind of bothering me over the last couple weeks is why is this like the number one question that we ask when it comes to this passage? Why? And two thoughts occurred to me. Maybe these are reasons you've asked the question. But one is I think we have a deep curiosity. And the curiosity that maybe we're wondering about is what did Jesus look like? when he came back to life. And maybe we wonder that a little bit because we're like, I wonder what I'm going to look like when I'm resurrected. Isn't that amazing? Like, what will my body look like? Will I look the same? How come they didn't recognize him? Will they recognize me? Will I be able to shed like 20 pounds? Like, what's it going to look like on the other side of everything, right? Like, what's that going to be? And maybe there's this deep curiosity in us. We're just excited to find out. But then there's another thought that occurred to me that I wonder if some of us might have a concern that like Mary, we too might not recognize Jesus. That if we're put in a similar situation that we too might mistake him for a gardener. We even maybe feel a little bit sad for Mary. Like she is the first person standing in front of the risen Savior and she doesn't recognize him. And maybe we're like, that's a colossal blunder. And she's like totally off track. And what if that was me? What if I did the same thing? And so there's this, perhaps this fear. And as I was thinking about that this week, I felt like there are a few takeaways for us as a community. What is it that we can get out of this question being asked? And how is it that we're supposed to understand who Jesus is? And I want to offer a few of them. First one, I think mistaking Jesus is actually part of the journey. It's part of the journey. So we have this Easter story that just took place that we just read about, this Easter moment. And culturally with Easter, I think what we've done is we've turned it into really nice dresses and nice hats and candy and events and chocolates and that kind of stuff. But then I think within the church, 
we've turned it into bright lights and celebrations and Easter shows and resurrection plays and all these other ways of making it weird as well, right? But actually, the Easter story, if we think about it, is about flesh and dirt and confusion and sadness and bodies. And it's also maybe about the ways in which God never seems to adhere to our expectations. That he always seems to show up looking a little bit different than we imagined him to be. I think we have this dangerous false narrative in the church that somehow espouses this idea that we will figure out God exactly And then when we do, we've arrived. And that should be the pursuit, is to figure them out. And once we have, then done, don't need to figure out anything more. And that if we somehow misunderstand God, or if we somehow still have to learn something new about God, then certainly we've failed. That somewhere along the way, we've dropped the ball. We, like Mary, have been confused. And I think that maybe that's the norm, that misunderstanding Jesus is actually part of the journey. It is the story, that there are story after story after story in the scriptures of even the disciples who are going, who is this guy? This is confusing. What happened? He did what? And constantly we're having to come to a new understanding of who Jesus is read this quote that uh, whatever it is you're seeking won't come to you in the form you're expecting. And I think the irresistible and wild mystery that is God will not adhere to the expectations we place upon God. And yet again, it's subtle. Like we think, and here's the weird thing, we actually think that we can figure it out. We think that this God who we acknowledge to be three distinct things, people, beings, essences in one, the same God that we then think came as God and fully human to earth to live among us, who lived a perfect life, who died, who then came back to life, who then left and now dwells within us, we think, yeah, that all makes a lot of sense, and I'm going to figure this out. No. (laughs) We, making mistakes about who Jesus is, is part of the journey. And I think this text is highlighting that. Supposing him to be the gardener, which takes us to the second idea. There's maybe another way of finding present meaning in this ancient moment. John says this, that Mary supposed Jesus to be a gardener. And I think John is implying in this text that perhaps Mary had it right. See, in the text, the first day of the week is highlighted, and the location of being in the garden is highlighted. What John is trying to do is drive our imagination back to the beginning, to this other moment that was the first day of the week and also happened in a garden. It's a way of John saying that the resurrection story is really a recreation story, 
That's something that started now is continuing in the resurrection of Jesus. And just in case you thought it was a mistake that he kind of put it in there, he then in his other writing in Revelation comes back to it and says there's another moment that it's the first day of the week and it happens in a garden and it's at the end of time. And so he connects this story of Jesus' resurrection to both the beginning of everything and to the end of everything. And John does this in a way to perhaps suggest that Mary is not entirely wrong about the idea that Jesus is a gardener. In fact, Jesus is both the gardener and the risen Christ. He's both. And maybe John wants to remind us that he is the gardener. In fact, John you may have recalled earlier in chapter 15 makes the statement that Jesus is like a gardener. He's like a vine dresser who masterfully cares for the vineyard, you and me, in a way that we thrive. That's his intention. We also see this throughout the Old Testament that he's the keeper of the garden. There's a couple passages alluded to in Isaiah that speak to the idea that he planted Israel and that he is tending to them, to his people. Or he says that I am the keeper of the vineyard. I am the gardener, the master gardener. And art has picked up on this same theme. All throughout kind of history, we have these images of Jesus as gardener. And specifically, the most transformative moment being this moment where he's mistaken for a gardener. That's a Rembrandt with Jesus with the uh, kind of like a worker's hat on overlooking Mary. You see all these images of Jesus with different garden tools where he's walking about in the garden carrying some shovel or some way of like digging in the dirt. That's one of just Jesus jacked, just ripped with a shovel on his shoulder. I mean, you have all these images throughout time of Jesus continuing to show up in, in moments that are unique, in moments that we see him specifically as the gardener in work clothes. But I think all of these moments are trying to capture something that's significant about the moment, and it is this, that when we begin to see Jesus as the gardener, it changes our perspective on life. I love that one, the hipster Jesus with the sweater and, um, you know, gardening some people right there in his little pot. Love it. All throughout time, we see these images, but they take us to this idea of gardening. Tina Bosch makes this statement, gardening at its best falls somewhere in the space between science and art. Gardening well requires constant attention and patience, intervention and restraint, creativity and knowledge, labor and love. Master gardeners know when to prune and when to wait, when to till and when to allow the field to lie fallow, when to sow and when to harvest. They attend to their plants through their entire life cycle, often looking to cultivate both beauty and nourishment. This description, while not about Jesus, I think absolutely describes Jesus the gardener. 
that he is in the business of nurturing you and I into places of thriving, that he is in the business of growing and tending and caring and just so intent on the right environment for you to grow and thrive into who God is calling you to become. And Jesus, in this moment with Mary, as he is tending to her heart and to her life, is mistaken by Jesus. But you notice what the response is. Jesus is completely mistaken by Mary, and yet he responds to her and calls her by name. The risen Christ is standing by Mary, and he stands beside you and I, calling our names as well inviting us to recognize him again. See, the thing that I find most fascinating about this moment is that Jesus didn't reveal himself to Mary by telling him who he was, but by telling her who she was to him. That's distinct, but significant. Because if it, I was Jesus, I would have been like, hey, Mary, it's me. Do you see, like, I got... I got items to show for it. I've done the work. Now I brought myself back to life. All these things, pretty profound. It's me. Check me out, right? And Jesus, instead of that, instead of drawing attention to himself, turns to the one whom he's caring for and tending and gardening, and he says to her, Mary. Technically, he calls her Miriam, her like given name in that passage. And he invites her to recognize who she is to him. His child is chosen. Powerful moment. In the midst of understanding, misunderstanding, we have a Jesus who calls us by name. Which takes us to the third and final idea. And that is that we should be on the lookout for gardeners. Here's what I mean by that. I think throughout this Gospel of John and throughout this section, what John is alluding to, and that the art even kind of highlights for us, is this idea that we should be on the lookout for other gardeners. That we have all mistaken Jesus, we've misplaced him, we've at times not understood who he is or how he's shown up in our lives, but the great value of John's suggestion in this text is to be on the lookout for Jesus in others. To be able to see in anyone the risenness of Christ made manifest. We should be on the lookout for gardeners or postmen, for shop clerks and waitresses, maybe even for bankers and lawyers, for all I know for migrant workers, and for the person who last asked you for a dollar on the street, and any other neighbor whose presence we're generally inattentive to, but who might, all the same, bring us into the living presence of God, or to put it another way, who might bring the living presence of God to us. Not only do we at times mistake Jesus, I think at times we completely miss him. Completely. That he's in front of us as the clerk at the counter. He's in front of us 
person in the store that helped us find the thing we were looking for. It is in the one we pass on the street. And we subtly don't notice him. And we instead say the thing like, where did we see you and not notice? And Jesus says, exactly. Right, that passage in Matthew, chapter 23, I believe, where he's inviting us to say, when I was poor and you took notice, when I was naked and you clothed me, when I was in prison and you visited me, when I was along the side of the street and you spoke to me, when you saw me in the crowd and you cared for me in this moment, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. Not just figuratively, exactly that. So I think we're to be on the lookout for gardeners and for anyone who might bear the image of Christ and in that moment we might again see the living and risen Jesus. So my prayer for us this morning is to be a community like Mary who is seeking, is driven to understand and know who Jesus is but is willing to be wrong and is also willing to see Jesus in everyone. Let's pray. God, we invite you into this moment, not because you weren't already here, but because by inviting you, we remind ourselves of your presence. God, we want to see you throughout this week. We want to be surprised by you again and again. We want to come upon someone and have that someone reveal to us your presence and nearness to us so much so that we hear you call us by name. God, may we be comfortable and okay with mistaking you, with getting you wrong, with not completely understanding who you are, and may in the midst of that you continue to reveal yourself. Thank you for being the constant and good and faithful and caring gardener, tending us into our thriving we honor you. We bless you for that. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.